Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we talk about every episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the sixth episode of season five of Call the Midwife. This episode was written by Heidi Thomas and directed by Lisa Clark. Heidi Thomas we see all the time. She created the show. We last saw her as the writer of an individual episode in episode four, uh, the one before last. And Lisa Clark, this is her second episode directing... Uh, she directed the last episode, episode five. Now, you said a second ago that we do every episode of Call the Midwife without spoilers. We have, once, before done a spoiler zone after an episode. This may be an episode where we need... Yeah, I think we will do a spoiler at the end of this episode. So listen, if you've watched the whole series, listen after the music to hear some... Spoiler discussion. Yeah, and that'll be after the main ending music. Mm -hmm. All right. Do you want to take us through the recap, Jen? Yes, I sure do. We begin with our mature Jenny narration. She narrates about community and past perfection as we see a street party. Trixie, Barbara, and Sheila chat with Mrs. Hills, an older woman who sells fish and is pregnant with her fifth child but she says she's going to St. Cuthbert's instead of using the Nanotans. Timothy finds Dr. Turner sleeping and tells him he needs a holiday. Barbara and Tom return from a date, and a woman named Lizzie stumbles out from an alley, having just been attacked. She refuses police help and runs off before they can fully help. The next day, when Barbara talks to Peter, he understands why he wouldn't come to her if she's soliciting. At the fish stall, Barbara meets Mrs. Hill's daughter, Diane. Sister Julianne and Sister Mary Cynthia discuss Sister Mary Cynthia singing louder in the chapel and being a blessing to her other sisters. At the Hill's home, it is actually Diane who's pregnant, with her mom pretending in order to save Diane's reputation. In the clinic, Mrs. Judith Coleman has a screaming child and is suffering from lack of sleep. Sister Julianne encourages her to take a walk in the night air to help him. At the Turners, they have a special dinner to announce to Patrick that they're going camping for a surprise holiday. I want to start by talking about this uh, mature Jenny voiceover at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, We've, (laughs) I think not very loudly, but we've complained sometimes about the voiceover being uh, uh, extraneous or being... Mm. Like, unnecessary. I feel like this is a really, really good voiceover that I love. Oh, yeah? Hmm. (laughs) I thought you were going to say the opposite, to be honest. No! I think I love the... We'll talk about it when we get to the end. I think it is extremely relevant to the plot and themes Mm. of this episode. And I think that what often they are aiming for with the voiceovers is this like sense of wise perspective that they get they get carried away with the floweriness of it sometimes and sometimes mature jenny doesn't really have any profound insights 
I feel like this is a profound insight. Mm, uh, yeah, that's a good point. She says, a sense of community is the holy grail of modern living. When we cannot find it in the present day, we reach back through the years and say, that was when we knew each other. That was when we held all things in common. And as we're, she's saying this, we see this like community barbecue or community event. I don't know about the barbecue, but community lunch. They say what it is, but I forget. Uh, and, no, I didn't write it down either. Uh, that was when we held all things in common. It is a thought so tender, so consoling, that it scarcely matters if it is not true. And that the way that that's phrased, like, the, until that it is not true, I'm, like, carried along that garden path with her to the point that I'm like, oh, come on, show. Are you really in this show showing me a flashback to the 60s and telling me that back then we all were community and all knew each other and then they end with it no that's not true and i'm like yeah this show uh at its most saccharine pretends that that's not true but at its best it holds those things in tension that like the past is this beautiful nostalgic image but that nostalgia and beauty is false and what really was there was beauty and community and also pain and hardship and loneliness and isolation and brutality. And that, uh, I think sometimes this show, like, I think if, if I look back at the show as a whole for these five seasons, its weakness is that it tends to, like, ping-pong between those instead of finding a mix between them. But when it finds a mix... Like, what it's aiming for clearly is this mix, and this voiceover, I think, is expressing that really profoundly. And the image of a Holy Grail, just as an Arthurian scholar, I'm going to spend a tiny second on the Holy Grail, which is one of the ways that the Holy Grail functions, both idiomatically, but even in Arthurian legend, is it's this thing that they're in Mallory, for example, all the knights are searching for the Holy Grail to see it. All they want is to see it. Uh, they, they're not achieving the quest of the Holy Grail, just means seeing the Grail, and they can't find it. And there's this uh, subtext that, like, is it findable? Uh, holiness as a theme, as represented by the Holy Grail in Arthurian literature, is something that they are striving for and seeking, but not achieving, and they can't even really see it. But the metaphor of faith in Arthurian literature is to seek holiness that you can't even really understand, but to seek it anyway. And all of that means that in this context, like the idiom of the Holy Grail carries that complexity, even when you just use it as a throw off, that like a sense of community is the Holy Grail. That doesn't just mean it's a wonderful, good thing. It means it's a wonderful, good thing that you're never going to get and might not even exist. So I like this voiceover, and we'll come back to it, I think, at the end of the episode. I don't want to preempt too much, but I'll say right now that this is absolutely uh, an episode that pulls the rug out from under you. Yes, absolutely. And uh, that ending statement, that, that t tender, consoling, we all knew each other and uh, had community w wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And it's part of both for the characters and also for the audience that, like, 
expecting that that is true is one of the things that makes this episode so painful, both for the characters and for the audience. We also see, like, um, this is a rough episode. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, before we get into it, it's a rough episode for multiple ways. For multiple reasons, and, like, I want to avoid preempting too much, but, like, there's violence in this episode, and it's really disturbing violence, Mm -hmm. um, and how it progresses through the episode. So in this section, we see Lizzie as the victim of physical violence, Um, but I'm going to just also point out here in this first little section, we have this, like, lovely little community uh, gathering, and um, Trixie comes back and says, I've just had my bottom pinched. Mm-hmm. And Barbara is like, oh, you too? I think it was that, like, Mr. Whatever. Um, and he smiles at them both, and she says, I had Tom give him a stern look, but it didn't dissuade him. And it is played by both Trixie and Barbara and by the direction, by the, like, lovely, idyllic community surrounding. It is played as if, like, oh, those incorrigible older men, like, tut-tut, oh, well. Uh, and it, like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that really plays into this whole episode with, like, exactly. community. We can look at, like, through rose-colored glasses, like, oh, haha, he pinched a bottom and it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal, and unchecked it leads to the kind of violence we experience in this episode. Yeah. And I think it is, like, purposefully in this episode that little, the voiceover of, like, looking back through the past as happiness and then... Like, oh, but there was these things. Oh, but there was these things, too. Yes. And it's like, again, pulling the rug out from under us, they're setting us up in this episode because they're setting, I think, the audience up to to have the kind of uh, reaction of, like, that's, you can't just give him a stern look and say nothing and expect things to change. And show, are you telling me that that was an appropriate way to act? Because you're lighting this so like this is a lovely time. And they're all saying it like, oh, well. Uh, and by the end of the episode, I think the context of the rest of the episode makes it very clear that the show was not saying this is an okay mm-hmm. thing that happened. It is saying this is the sunny face that has a darker uh, consequence that we, the audience and the characters, don't understand in the first scene, but I hope we do by the end. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So the three kind of plots of this episode, of this section in this episode are um, Mrs. Hills and her daughter Diane, uh, the attack on Lizzie and then future attacks mm-hmm. in the episode, and the Turners doing their vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, let's maybe start with the Turners, just in the sense that uh, Patrick says nobody needs a holiday. Yes, Patrick, they do. <laughs> I know. And you do. Like, wow, the work ethic of this man of like, nobody actually needs a holiday. Yes, they do, Patrick. <laughs> and as a doctor, you should know that people need, I mean, I guess they don't need a holiday if you are thinking a holiday in the British 
sense of specifically a holiday is going away from your home. Yeah, I guess that, yeah. They, totally like, you could have a staycation. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't really have a concept of a staycation in the 60s, yes, but... <laughs> but, Patrick, as a doctor, you should know that people do need a rest yes, and a break. Exactly. And as someone, like, who has personally had uh, uh, mental health issues that come from overwhelming stress, you should know... Very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's not just nice to have. It's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And then they go off in this section. The, the, they don't actually start, but we have... I just absolutely love the Sheila's, like, ornament. Okay, the, the fancy supper. Mm-hmm. And Tim, please note the orn- the ornamental folded serviettes. <laughs> <laughs> like... Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and Sheila's He's delivery. He's really proud of himself. He's so proud of himself, which I had to do for Women's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Mom insisted. And Sheila's delivery of, we are going camping! <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the most, she delivers it like it's the most exciting possible thing to do. And it's, you know, uh, you haven't talked about it, but they're like, there's comedy in the fact that this family is not really a camping family. No, exactly. <laughs> and it's obviously this is the first time they're going camping because they've borrowed all this stuff from the Cubs. They're going, they've gotten Angela her first sleeping bag. It's, yeah, it's really, it's really funny. And I think that it is deliberately the whole camping and travel plot of Dr. Turner is placed very deliberately in this episode because everything else is extremely upsetting and yeah. heavy and, and not a fun thing to watch. So they put this deliberate kind of comedy, comic relief, and I feel like it's almost a little bit over-the-top comic relief because of how heavy the rest of the episode is. We haven't got to it yet, but there's like pratfalls yeah. and it's silliness and it's a very light plot with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With a bit of a, like, there's a tiny undercurrent of he's worried about his practice the whole time and it turns out he should be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we have Diane and her mother. We meet the mother first, who is older in her, like, I guess, mid forties. I don't know. She seems way older than me, but I guess I'm the an old mom if I were to have a yeah, she's not, like, impossibly old, right? No. It's plausible. They're all like, oh, you're a little old for this, but they're not like, oh, how are you going to survive having a baby at your no, age? So she's, like, mid-40s, I would say, at most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, the Trixie and the other nurses are like, oh, hey, how come you didn't come to us? And that's our first hint that... Uh, Something is different about this pregnancy. So, but she can easily say in this day and age that, oh, I'm just going out to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And and that's easily believed. And then, of course, we discover that it's actually Diane who's pregnant. Yeah, and there's little, I mean, in this section, this is about secrets and reputation. It's mm-hmm. connected a bit to what we're already starting to poke at about, like, uh, what you show the world and what's true and the difference between those things. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Diane has a little line about every time we're working at the stall, I see you holding your back and huffing and puffing and I can't do any of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, she has to play her pain that Diane's actually feeling and has to hide. And the, uh, na- and the neighbor is like, how come you're moving the boxes? Shouldn't, you know, young, strong Diane here? And the mother comes up, but, oh yeah, no, she's she's good with the sums and all that stuff. So, yeah. to cover up for what's really going on. Yeah. Um, I want to talk, when Diane is talking to her mother, mother's, her, Diane says, like, Janice Myers went to the mother and baby home, and she, like, why can't I do that? Do you remember what her mom says? She's tainted goods for life. She's shoddy goods, shoddy for, goods life. for life. Yeah. Janice good, Janice Myers is shoddy goods for life. Mm-hmm. And that concept, I wrote that down just because it's a uh, striking phrase but yeah. also because it's the concept of like you're gonna be yeah ruined tainted mm-hmm. forever uh because your reputation is really important is not uh and the, the slight resonance with like they are merchants they yeah. sell things and so she's thinking about goods and what mm. is yeah about marketing uh and so marketing Diane to the world, she has to play a version of Diane to the world that isn't accurate and is also, like, uh, you know, thinking of her as something to be marketed. Mm-hmm. We have a tiny little moment before we get to the heavier, heaviest part, which is Judith Coleman's baby, who's always crying. Mm-hmm. Sister Julianne says she might be suffering from a touch of colic and the... Uh, way that Judith described, like, she, he cries all the time, screams all the time, and I never sleep. But I'm like, a touch of colic. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> I also, my two things are like, a touch of colic. It's The way she's describing it is, like, much worse than a touch of colic to mm-hmm. me. But also, what we're seeing on <laughs> on the screen is a perfectly happy little baby. I know, it's like, they, they try to have the baby <laughs> scream a few times, but... It's like, oh, yeah. my baby never stops crying. Baby coos happily while yep. being played with by Sister Julianne. You're like, uh... Um... That's just yeah. something and, that I point and out. And Jul- Sister Julian's advice to her, which will prove terrible, but to go for a walk in the night air is, a, you know, good advice. This is advice that, like, nowadays you take your baby for a drive in the car. Yeah. And, you know, back then you have a pram that you can push around the neighborhood. That doesn't seem like a bad idea, especially if you feel like you're disturbing your neighbors or whatever, or disturbing your husband who's sleeping. Yeah. And we have a bit of a... Uh... Extremely light foreshadowing because it, if you've seen the episode, you know it is a red herring foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. We have light foreshadowing that, like, her husband needs to sleep, and so she's stressed about waking her husband. Yeah. And so, like, is it, is there some problem with upsetting her husband? Mm-hmm. Um, no, she just cares about him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, in the Lizzie plot, Yes. Before we get actually even to it, Barbara and Tom are coming back from a date, and mm-hmm. they say it's the, one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, and the movie that they were seeing is called Whistle Down the Wind. Do you know anything about it? No, I didn't even look it up a little bit. I've never seen it. I've barely heard of it. It sounded kind of familiar, but vaguely I had no idea what it was about. Um, I think it's relevant 
always, I think, the fiction that they will choose to have them watch is relevant to the themes of the episode, especially mm-hmm. if it's a well-written episode and Heidi Thomas's are. Um, that Whistle Down the Wind is a movie that Wikipedia says it attempts to show the world through the eyes of an innocent child. And the plot is some children are, like, wandering around their town and they see an old bearded man hiding in an alleyway and an adult nearby says something like swears at him it's like jesus christ get out of here so the kids think that he's jesus christ and then in the movie like the rest of the plot of the movie is they like take money and things and food and bring it to this man who's hiding because they think that he's jesus and he's like why are you doing all this for me and they say because we love you and they bring him things that he needs, and then the movie ends with him like he he's an escaped convict and he gets arrested and sent away by the adults. And so the, like, concept the through the eyes of an innocent child and the thing that Tom and Barbara love about it and want to bring the Sunday school to is that, like, they, the children, see him as Jesus and tend to him and care for him and the subtext is because he is Jesus because mm. the like yeah. part of the literal teaching of the of Jesus is wherever whatever you do for the least of these you've done for me so the subtext is when you care for and feed an escaped convict you are feeding Jesus I just want to mention all that theme because then there's a um real harshness to the end of the episode mm-hmm. that I feel like is a bit, it's a, is crashing against that, textually crashing against that way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I kind of want to watch that movie now. Yeah, I, wonder, I know. I wonder eh? if you can find it. <laughs> but they, their date gets interrupted by Lizzie, who's calling for help. Mm-hmm. And they, of course, in their Tom and Barbara way, uh, as they would always help people, they you know, help her medically first and, you know, Mm -hmm. bind her wounds and give her something to drink, I think. But, uh, she just, you know, passes it off. Like, I'm not going to do anything about this. I'm not going to go to the police because they'll know that I've been, uh, that I'm a sex worker and I need to get back to my children. Mm -hmm. And so this, of course, breaks their hearts and and immediately, uh, Barbara goes to, to Sergeant Noakes who is back again in this episode. Yay. <laughs> uh, they even mention Chummy later. They do, yeah. We can talk about that later. Um, and, you know, why wouldn't she go to the police? Why wouldn't she want that to go? And like, oh, Barbara, because she'll be arrested. She doesn't yeah. want to get arrested. Especially if she has young children at home. I think he gets better later in the episode, but here... The first appearance, we see Peter, not for the first time, as, like, the soft-spoken voice and face of an unsympathetic legal system. Absolutely. Absolutely. That he's like, well, but it's the law. She sh- mm-hmm. he doesn't actually say she should be, but he's like, she'll be fined and arrested. Yeah. She should be scared to p- talk to the police because mm-hmm. we will not help her. Yeah, exactly. And later he is more helpful, but in this interaction, he basically says, she's right not yeah. to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, which is, yeah, <sighs> not something that has changed much in some ways. No, I mean, 
everything changes and everything stays the same, and the police are still... I think what we see, one of the other things that we see in this episode, we see it just... I mean, we see it textually by the end of the episode, that, like, there are victims that we the legal system cares about and victims that they don't. Yep. And uh, Lizzie is a victim the legal system doesn't care about. And it cares about a little. Like, Peter personally cares about her, but... If she's the victim, nothing is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep, you have to have a perfect victim, which is we will get to. Yes. So let's move on to the next section here. Judith Coleman walks her baby outside at night, but he still screams. Dr. Godfrey arrives and is put to work by Nurse Crane, who also lends the Turners her roof rack. Patsy, Trixie, and Barbara, and Sister Winifred all giggle over Dr. Turner's shorts and excessive packing of their car. Sister Julienne visits Mrs. Coleman to find that she is injured. She explains it away, but Sister Julienne is suspicious and tells Peter about it. The Turner's camping trip is plagued with rain and collapsing tents. Patrick spills tea on his sleeping bag and also has trouble not thinking about work. Dr. Godfrey happily has lunch at Anatus when Peter interrupts with the news that the two attacks seem related. Barbara goes with him to find Lizzie again, but once again she refuses to speak to the police. Peter asks Fred to help patrol the street with his Civil Defense League. The Turner's camping trip continues to go downhill, and they head to a hotel instead. Nurse Crane is upset that Dr. Godfrey... Godfrey is not visiting all of his patients on time. Diane goes into labor, and her mother helps while trying to keep her quiet so her younger brothers won't hear. She gives birth to a baby boy, but the placenta doesn't come out, so Mrs. Hills calls the Nodis and speaks to Dr. Godfrey, who mistakes her for a midwife and tells her to tug on the cord. Trixie overhears the call and races with Sister Mary Cynthia, to find that the placenta has been pulled out along with her uterus. An ambulance takes the mother and baby with Trixie following. And we'll stop there and continue on with the rest of it. Okay. But I know that you're not okay with the whole placenta thing. It is awful and you'd like... (laughs) We need to talk about the happier things first, always. Let's (laughs) Let's talk about uh, the camping trip. um, Because... Okay, first of all... It's not that funny to wear shorts. Come on. <laughs> they have never seen Dr. Turner's legs. This yes. is the thing. Is I, We've talked about this. In a world where who wears shorts? Little boys. Yes. Grown it's, men wear pants. <laughs> it's a, it continues to be, I know it intellectually, but it continues to be like a thing that uh, I understand like uh, transliterating a language that, but that like, okay... Shorts are for little boys, pants are for adults. That is only possible because you live in a climate where it doesn't ever get hot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, and they know that, and they say that. (laughs) When they talk about wearing shorts in the war, they both are like, when I was in a hot place, I wore shorts. Yeah. Um, Fred and and Patrick. So, but I'm wearing shorts currently. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's not even that hot. But, I can see your legs. But they're all like, giggle, giggle, giggle over Patrick in his shorts. And it's like... It's a little light, a little levity. We have also Sister Winifred out there with them, 
Yeah, I Giggling know. And, and like, I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Like, come on, you're a nun. <laughs> I'm just here and I'm not looking at all at this. And then they go off on their camping uh, trip. And some parts of this camping trip are like uh, extremely like... Uh, first shot at the script what could go wrong at camping the, it, yeah. it rains and the tent collapses and like it's a little low-hanging fruit i think but fine okay it's the little bit of silliness i liked uh them cooking over the cooking sausages over the fire uh and uh the smoke and and sheila <coughs> is so much nicer than cooking at home. <laughs> <laughs> She's just trying to have a positive face. Patrick trying to have a positive face. And they're... And, uh... Yeah. The... Also, like, like I, they put the kids in a separate tent, of course. But, like, poor Timothy is responsible for, like, what, a two-year-old Angela? <laughs> Angela, by the way, Angela is petrified of squirrels. She doesn't yes. even like Squirrel Nutkin. And he's, like, drawing. Um... But also, when they're in the tent and they're like, oh, well, I've just got Angela, not not too loud, we've just got Angela settled. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That kid was born settled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, the, uh, the crying Coleman baby times a million they're like yeah. oh she's so fuzzy I'm like she's the mi- the <laughs> mildest tempered human <laughs> is, is the actual uh, actress the, of Angela the squirrel incident happened entirely off screen because yeah. they can't because they can't make this uh, actress scream at a squirrel <laughs> no she's just like it always cracks me up that I that it's the same actress who's like still on the show as in a like I don't know six or seven year old that was the same baby all the way growing up like that's pretty good on this show yep and she uh is very 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 mild-mannered in this episode although we are told that she's having trouble settling and is fussing off screen yeah and they uh also the scene of them I spy with my little eye and like big long sentences. I also thought that was funny. I like that I I've never heard of or played I spy like that where you're like giving initials of a sentence or whatever you're seeing. I'm like, I like that. I think that's a better you know, that's a more grown up way of playing I spy. Than just I think something of, that starts with T, it's yeah, a tree. Or it's you know, something that's green or whatever. Like it's usually such a baby game, but I'm like, that's a way of like elevating it a little bit for older kids. B H I T T R C I. Bullet holes in the tent, rain coming in. Yes. Yeah, also, like, well done. <laughs> Bullet holes in the tent, also, by the like, because it's a. Uh, it's an army tent. Army tent. Yep. Or even just a Boy Scout tent, because, you know, it's BB guns or whatever. Yeah. There's also, let's keep on for just a moment, the funnier parts of the episode, because uh, um, there's just a little tiny moment of Trixie in her room and Patsy comes in, in this section, uh, and it's like late, and Trixie's like, where were you? And Patsy's like, in Delia's room, she was just teaching me a new card game. <laughs> there are a, yet more than one moment where it seems like Trixie is catching on to like, yeah. there's something like, 
Patsy's not hanging out with me anymore. We're not doing like the three of us. She is exclusively with Delia. And they're off doing things and, uh, doing things. Um, exclusively. They're off spending time together. We, um, yeah, they're... There's another little moment near the end of the episode that maybe we'll talk about then. It's not like a super profound, it's just another little moment mm-hmm. of the two of them together. I also like getting into slightly more serious things. Dr. Godfrey is also mostly comic relief until he's in it, until he, he isn't. Yeah, he's, you know, you he, were seeing his like lack of competence because he's. Like, he's coming out of retirement to fill in for, you know, a city doctor, and, like, he is not prepared for the extent to which Dr. Turner is works and is not good at it, because he's older and slower and has old methods and who knows. Patrick says, uh, um, general practice is a young man's game, mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Godfrey is, you know, he's friendly and good-natured, and he's perfectly pleasant. But he's not, he doesn't have any uh, uh, chutzpah. He lacks chutzpah. <laughs> he has the, like, interactions with Nurse Crane, who he clearly, like, is flirting with, and she does not appreciate it. He thinks she's retired, which is the most offensive thing you could ever say to Nurse Crane. Yeah. He's like, it brings me out of retirement. I trust you feel the same. And Nurse Crane hates him from that moment on. Yep. Uh, also, he calls her Nurse Crane, and she says, Crane. As in the waiting bird, or industrial lifting equipment, whichever you prefer, which is another line I really like. <laughs> yes. Um, and he, like, and he seems, uh, you know, a little clueless, but good-natured and yeah, well-intentioned. He's, perfect. he's perfectly likable. Is, yeah, is part exactly. Of it. Yeah. So he flirts with Nurse Crane, who does not like it. He, he thinks she's retired when she isn't. He misunderstands social... St- circumstances but only a little yeah uh and he uh thinks that mrs hill calling is a midwife and he like she asks to speak to trixie and he should have put trixie on yes absolutely uh but he's like i'm sure you'd prefer to speak to a doctor and you are like what is necessary is medical advice, but also an understanding of the situation that you don't have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so he gives her technically good advice, I suppose, if she was a midwife and understood it. Mm-hmm. Like, good hard yank on the cord, he says. Which, no. like, even before that happened, like, even before the awful scene that uh, is really, really bad, uh, Good hard yank on the cord. I, knowing nothing about medicine and being not that kind of doctor, I'm like, you don't mean good hard. No. <laughs> you mean, like, to a midwife who has been uh, really impressed on her how don't pull too hard. He's saying, you know, don't, but don't be too timid. Mm-hmm. But she needs her training to interpret that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Ms. Hill does not have that training. No. Do you want to talk about... Well, I mean, we're already talking about Mrs. Hill, so let's go into that that story where um, Diane goes into... Diane, first of all, she's like, how is the baby going to get out? She says earlier in the episode. So she has no idea. And the mother is just like, well, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it type of attitude. I've had when four like, babies. I know what I'm doing. I you d- just trust me. Yeah. When like, 
you know, it would be good to, for Diane to at least know what's going on. Like, she doesn't even realize what it means when her water breaks. She's like, I wet myself. Yeah. And her mother basically says, hold it in. Yeah. And like, oof. And they put the boys to bed. It's not even dark yet. You do what I say. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even, like, a just a little moment earlier about uh, she, um, Mrs. Hill is checking Diane for uh, anemia. Mm-hmm. She's like, I was anemic with all four of mine, but you don't seem to be. And, like, how do you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, like, looking at her eyes. Looks at her eyes and, like, you can roughly know, sort of, but, like, they do tests. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't just, I mean, they do eyeball it. When they are can tell by all eyeballing because of their training, yeah. But like, yeah, even that's one little moment where like Diane seems physically fine in terms of anemia, but like you don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just because you've had four kids does not mean you know how to deliver one. And this is like a lesson to all of me and you who are like, I've watched so many episodes of Call the Midwife, I could probably deliver a baby. Yeah, I could probably deliver a baby. I know all the things that can go wrong and what you should do. I wouldn't pull too hard on the umbilical cord because I've seen this episode and it haunts my dreams. (laughs) (laughs) She, uh... Like, she makes her be quiet while in labor, which is also, like, as someone who's been in labor, don't do that. Don't make me be quiet. (laughs) She has her Um, bite of flannel so she doesn't scream. Yeah, exactly. And uh, all in the name of reputation. This is all, everything, every little step she takes is all in the name of Diane's reputation, which is, like... We can judge her for it, and we kind of do, but also we can see the world that she's in and the situation that she's in, and she doesn't want the judgment and the the neighbors, because they're gonna judge. They're gonna judge. Like, it's not like she's making that up. They are absolutely going to judge at this 16-year-old pregnant girl. Yeah. And she will be known as that, and she will... There is a stigma there that will follow her. Yeah. So, she's not wrong, but also she approaches it poorly well she refers to janice as uh shoddy goods for life Mm -hmm. other people will think of diane as shoddy goods for life yeah like yeah she's not making that up it's the like uh (sighs) she is like a, a more intense version of Dr. Godfrey's situation where she is well-intentioned and kind, mm-hmm. but uh, has poor judgment. Uh, she makes the wrong choice, not out of malice or uh, even she, like, she's worried about other people judging Diane. Maybe she is harsh in judging Diane in other moments, but we don't really see that. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's subtext that, like, she's judging someone else in Diane's position as shoddy goods, and she's projecting that judgment. So she is, like, she is being judgmental of Diane herself. Mm. But she also is, like, genuinely trying to help and protect her daughter. And it is the... couldn't be of worse choices. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. it's not the thing to do. It's not the right thing. It's... We had a conversation with our kids in the car in a completely different context about, like, something that we talk about 
occasionally as parents, as most parents do, that like, how do you find the line between uh, toughening your kids up to uh, survive the harsh world and making the world less harsh for them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a bit of that here that like, I'm going to make it so you don't have to face the judgment of the world. Yeah. Uh, and quite apart from the like, you put her in physical harm. Like, you can't, she has to face the judgment of the world. That's hard as a parent. You can't actually protect your kid from your kid's reputation uh, because your kid makes their own reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, she also mentions, I know lots, I know three or four families where the kid grew up thinking its mother was its sister. And and Diana's like, who? Well, never you mind. Well, see, she's still protecting those reputations as well and frankly and that is also a story that i have heard from yep. people is i like that your too, mother's your sister that too is such a good little moment a good subtle little moment about how this is also futile mm-hmm. because she knows the stories yeah exactly. so it didn't work yeah if it worked she wouldn't know the story mm-hmm. <laughs> right yep exactly so like and they, I mean, this is an episode, we, we're starting to see it, we're going to really see it textually by the end, but this is also an episode about secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I have more, I want to say more later about that, but I'll just bring it up now that, like, reputation and secrets and hiding things is a problem in this episode. And uh, it comes up in all the, the plots, but I think that the... Uh, the Hills plot is where the secrets are most, where that is the biggest part of the theme. Like there yeah. are, there's a problem with not talking in the violence, but the, the secrecy is a bigger, the issue with the Hills. And then the like scene, the birth scene, uh, is like, this is worse than the birth alone in the last episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like. I've written in all tab- in all caps in my notes, just, Gah! Yeah, it's definitely a scene that sticks with me years later. I knew as soon as, as soon as the Mrs. Hills showed up, I'm like, oh, this is this one. Oh, boy. Yep. And uh, I'm remembering, as we're, as we're talking about this episode and placenta's coming out, is that with our second child... Uh, it did take a little while for me to deliver the placenta. And I remember the doctor was just like patiently there being like, okay, I don't know we might have to do intervention or something. And the nurse was finally like, just have her sit up a little bit more. And I sat up a little bit more and boom. And so it was like, the nurses actually know more. This is, it was so like a call the midwife situation of like the doctor's going to sit there and be like, do we need to cut her open? And the, and the nurse is like, hey, how about you just change her position? And it worked. <laughs> and it <yeah>. worked. <laughs> just, I liked that nurse. <laughs> um, also, he didn't want me to eat anything at that moment because he was like, you don't know if you're going to need surgery, so don't eat that piece of toast. I'm like, I'm so hungry. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yep. Should we talk about... I mean, do you have more to say about this? No, let's talk about Mrs. Coleman, or Judith. Yes. first name. The Fred and the CDC get put on extra patrols because the police can't do more for reasons. Um, that 
is another little thing that happens that I don't yeah. have more to say about right now. But then the big thing that plot-wise that happens is with Judith, who's been instructed by or advised by Sister Julienne to go for walks at night alone mm-hmm. with her baby. Not alone, I guess. Uh, and she is also attacked. Yeah. Like Lizzie. And there's detail, like the details, The they both get bitten so that mm-hmm. the details make it obvious to, obvious to the audience and pretty quickly, uh, immediately suspicious and pretty quickly obvious to the police that this is the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do you want to say about this? It is really surprising at first why Judas won't go to the police. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand it until she really explains that like you thought it was my husband and you thought you know and I will be also be accused of soliciting in the same way as like Lizzie who's actually soliciting I mean and Judith is this young mom they're gonna she thinks they're gonna assume that yeah this is there's even more at the very end of the episode that you yes. haven't gotten to about her reasons but like uh the her fear that she's going to be accused of soliciting is just like, uh, we're, t- we're going step by step. Like the show is leading us step by step along. Like how innocent does a quote unquote innocent does a victim have to be before we care about her mm-hmm. as the audience, as the police, like the sex worker is going to be arrested for soliciting and, uh, Peter basically says yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he backs off on that a bit later, but at the time. And then Judith is worried that she's going to look guilty because she, Lizzie has a baby, Judith has a baby. The fact that she has a baby doesn't inoculate her from suspicion. She's out at night. Like, she thinks that from the outside it looks like she might be the same as Lizzie. She doesn't want to be the same as Lizzie. She doesn't want to be seen the same as Lizzie, but she has under the same risk and we see that she is literally physically exposed to the same risk and so socially she's also exposed to the same risk and that like she's a little bit uh better a victim and like enormous quotes of course um but not good enough she Mm -hmm. still feels like she's gonna be blamed yeah and she might be yeah like she probably wouldn't be because they she they do know her in the community, but probably mm-hmm. not definitely. And they know Mr. Coleman and that he's a gentleman and, uh, you know, seems like a good man. But like when a woman is all beat up, uh, of course they suspect the husband. Yeah. As they should. Yeah, exactly. For her safety. Mm-hmm. But like the things that she is worried about are not baseless yep exactly exactly let's move on to the last section here okay sister mary cynthia is left to clean up the mess and make her way home she stops by the harbor to pray in the dawn trixie talks with mrs hills who feels guilty over saving diane's reputation over her health at the harbor sister mary cynthia is attacked She wakes later, covered in bruises, and makes her way home. She's traumatized and refuses help, struggling with her faith and her feelings. Dr. Turner 
calls home and finds out about Dr. Godfrey's bad advice, which cuts his vacation short. Sister Mary Cynthia refuses to make a statement to the police and retreats to the bath. Sister Julienne visits Mrs. Coleman and tries to convince her to talk to the police about her attack, but she feels that she's being punished for stepping away from the pram to get away from her baby's crying. Sister Monica Joan helps Sister Mary Cynthia bathe, gently washing her as she cries. Afterwards, she decides she will talk to the police, since she doesn't have a reputation to protect. She tells the details to Peter, including distinctive hand tattoos, to help identify the attacker as a Soviet sailor. Mrs. Hills introduces Diane to her son and decides to tell the truth to the world. Mature Jenny narrates that Dr. Turner was able to take a real vacation at last, and Trixie confesses to Delia and Patsy that she's been going to AA. Sister Mary Cynthia sings louder in the chapel at the end. So the plot about secrets that I was just talking about Mm -hmm. plays out with uh, both uh, Thora Hill deciding that, like, she's racked by guilt. The secrets almost killed her daughter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if... Because they were there was medical intervention and she her life is safe but caused her enormous pain. Yeah. Um, and she, uh, Trixie has a line. There's so much to hide. And then the episode ends in terms of that secret thing with Trixie telling Patsy and Delia that she's not going to art history. She doesn't give a fig about art history. <laughs> uh, she's going to AA and has been for, is it 10 months? Just 10 think. months, yeah. Which like, by the way, not the main point, but like 10 months is a long time to be like the whole point of AA is you have support, but like to have no support from the people that you're living your life in because you're keeping it a secret from them. Yeah. Like, so I'm glad that Trixie is, is Sharing with uh, Patsy and Delia. And then we end. Like, Patsy and Delia are coming in from being out together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're... The secret theme is like Trixie and you don't have to keep secrets. And she walks away and then we go to Patsy and Delia walking up the stairs. And the voiceover is like, but not all secrets could be free. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's continue to be secrets and they continue to be uh like they continue to be harmful the theme mm-hmm. of the episode is that secrets are like potentially deadly uh and they they continue to be to make things unhappy mm-hmm. by the end of the episode those who are still keeping secrets or have to keep secrets or feel they have to or do have to are still unhappy about it mm-hmm Absolutely. Sister Mary Cynthia. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to have anything to say about... Uh, no, I think we've, we've anything else? gone through <laughs> the other things. <laughs> this is the emotional center of the episode. And mm-hmm. it's the like... When we were talking about this episode before we started recording. And when we think about it later, like... This is the episode where Sister Mary Cynthia gets attacked. Yeah. This is the like... And of course, this has, we're spoiler free, but this is not like 
this has lasting consequences, of course, for Sister Mary Cynthia. Yeah. She's not going to get over it in the span of one episode. Um, there's a couple of things in her whole plot, in this whole story, in this whole section, that are worth talking about that none of them I kind of want to talk about because it's upsetting. <laughs> it's really, yeah. But do you want to talk about what we were saying about the perfect victim? Yeah, that uh, Sister Mary Cynthia, because of her, because she's a nun, can go to the police and not, and no one is going to accuse her of soliciting on the corner or that she shouldn't, even that she shouldn't have been out because what she was doing was delivering a baby. Yeah. And, and then do, stopping and, to pray. And stopping to pray. But what she says right away is, you know, I thought my habit would protect me and it didn't. Mm-hmm. And so, and man, I've been in that. I have felt that too. I felt like my age will protect me or my whatever will protect me. Um, and... Uh, but then it does protect her in a different way. It protects her yep. so she can help others and help the two other women who can't, and probably more women, of course, who can't and won't speak for themselves. She can speak on their behalf because she has the social the life protection. Of a nun. She has the social protection of being a nun. This is the like, even after the way that. It is timed. We have her and her coming forward and then Peter talking to some expert in the, I don't know, a cop or an expert in the police and the person Peter's talking to is like, oh, he's targeting prostitutes? Yeah, exactly. And because Peter has Sister Mary Cynthia, he can say no. Mm-hmm. But if he, like, this is where Judith, where uh, Judith fears were right because without sister mary cynthia peter would say i don't know <laughs> yeah exactly right doesn't it seems like maybe not but there'd be this doubt mm-hmm. and we have like uh lizzie and judith both have their reasons for not going coming forward and they are one of the reasons for not coming forward is the same as sister mary cynthia's reason for not coming forward at first which is she is scared and angry and traumatized and doesn't want people poking at her and talking to her and she doesn't want to relive a horrible experience mm-hmm. and like all those reasons are also reasons mm-hmm. uh and the she has her she goes to have a bath like oh my goodness and sister monica joan talks to her about strengths mm-hmm there's a time to mortify our flesh and a time to uh, cherish it. There's a minor plot that's cut out. I saw it uh, in, like, the... Sometimes I look at the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a minor plot through the episode that I wish they hadn't cut out of CBC Gem, which is that uh, there's a little reference to it in the that isn't cut, that is Sister Monica Joan is fasting. Mm. through this whole episode so she's mortifying the flesh and there's a little moment where dr godfrey passes her some uh pastries and uh phyllis is like oh she's uh, abstaining for religious reasons but i like pastries um and so that's where this like there's a time to mortify the flesh and a time to and a time to cherish it cherish it and marvel at its strength and they're like marvel at its strength she says while she's like 
cleaning, bruised, yeah, bloodied uh, Sister Monica, I mean, Sister uh, Mary Cynthia, and that that seems on one hand like an inappropriate thing to say, to marvel at your strength, because Sister Mary Cynthia is feeling very fragile, not very strong. Mm-hmm. But it actually is exactly the right perspective to give her, to help her to see that uh, this can be for her a moment not of fragility, but of strength. Yeah. Or as not, maybe not, not of fragility, but a moment of strength as well as of fragility. And that's, her strength is in her body, but also in her position, and she has the strength to go and talk. And it's, on. it's kind of, uh, oh, heartbreaking, but a little beautiful. Yeah. I love, um, love. The Trixie is the one who first sees her and then Trixie is the door going don't lock the door because this is what from season one Trixie and Cynthia have had this strong relationship they were there before we were introduced to Nanata's house yeah and 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 sister uh, and Mary Cynthia becoming a nun and that strained their relationship but it's grown stronger again and like it's I love to see the the centering of that relationship in this moment, but it also it isn't going to be Trixie bathing her because Sister Mary Cynthia is a nun and Sister mm-hmm. Monica Joan is really the perfect person to be bathing her in this moment. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about the like Mary Cynthia's crisis of faith? It mm-hmm. ends with her being like, I thought this was a test of my faith, but it was actually a test of my strength, and I passed the test, hooray. Yeah. But I don't think that, I think the kind of episode ends wrapping that up a bit. But as you said, there continue to be consequences, and that doesn't erase that crisis of faith yeah. at all. The fact that she stopped to pray, and in that vulnerable moment of like turning to God, she was taken advantage of, is shaking up to her faith mm-hmm. and makes sense that it she would be says uh the moment when i thought god was at my shoulder but it was someone else mm-hmm. Oof. Harrowing. and she doesn't want to talk to sister julienne she doesn't want to like don't be gentle to me uh she has been and we placed emphasis in this episode on her being so gentle and mild and meek and she doesn't sing loud and she's Mm -hmm. has always been and in this episode we really put emphasis on her like quiet voice and gentleness yeah and the performance is like difficult but uh good but Mm -hmm. so good that she's is so angry she is not gentle and mild in those moments at all yeah absolutely. in a way that frankly i didn't know that the if the actor be able to pull off because she is always very mild yes it's true it's <laughs> true um uh, let's talk about mrs coleman for a second yeah just that go. uh it comes out here that she feels like she was being punished not just for being out at night but that she did step away from the pram because she couldn't take the crying anymore and this is so um she feels so alone in this but it's not at all unusual like 
uh, we were really blessed with kids who didn't like as much as we did go through, you know, screaming in the night and all that stuff. We never had a child who just wouldn't stop screaming. No. And but you know those those parents are so it is so hard. Yeah. And she's going through it on her own, not because like her husband is so terrible, but because he has to work. We're in a world where you know the husband does all the work, and so she doesn't want him to uh, be tired at work, and so she she takes the baby away. But then she has to exclusively deal with all of the all of the screaming. Yeah, and and then she. I feel like the I like like uh, the complexity of her emotional state because she is afraid that they'll suspect her husband she's afraid that they'll suspect her of solicitation she's also and it kind of comes out here in more grounded a more more scary and also more likely fear that like i walked away from i took him out at night and then left him I'll be, they'll take him away from me. Mm-hmm. Social services will take him away because I'm an unfit mother because I abandoned him. Yeah. And we saw last episode a mother abandoning and then social services don't take him away because yeah. the midwives intervene and bring the baby back. But like leaving the baby and walking away is not a thing you can do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't suspect that, and I don't think that we are meant to or any of the characters do, uh, that she was ever planning to like not leave him and not come back, but she's worried that people will think that, and they mm. probably will. Yeah, like whether she'll actually get arrested for it or the baby taken away, probably not. But like, it's a real fear. Yeah, uh, it's a legitimate fear again. But then add to all of that the like, add to all of that the like she, uh feels like she deserves a punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, I'm not going to come forward. I'm not going to do something about it. I'm being punished justly. And if I tell what happened, you'll all know that I was punished justly. And I deserve to be beaten up for abandoning my baby because I couldn't handle being a mother because I'm a bad mother because I don't love my baby as much as I should. Like, all of that mm-hmm. is underneath. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's rough. What do you make of the fact that he, that the attacker is a Soviet sailor? I don't know. <laughs> is there, I just feel like, is there an element of othering of him yeah. and uh, of the kind of, re- I mean, he actually ends up being a uh, Soviet sailor, but it is a little bit like the Red Scare of the 60s and, you know, of course the evil man is not part of the community he's outside the community yeah when like he just as easily could have been inside the community and is that a little bit them pulling their punches or is that saying you know life in the east end involves people coming from there isn't a as a full community because it involves people coming from outside all the time because of the docks we keep coming back to the docks and they're a real thing, both for people who work there and people who come in and out. And yeah, I felt watching it like he's a Soviet criminal. Like, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you will get squirrel. Like, okay. Uh, moose and squirrel. 
I know that... There's uh, literally a squirrel. There's literally a squirrel. <laughs> like, I am sure that uh, sailors coming in at the docks did uh, crimes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Soviet criminals did crimes and violent crimes. Like, I'm sure that's a thing that happens yeah. and happened. So, on one hand, like, okay. Uh, on the other hand, it does feel like they are very... Uh, othering of him and like who's a who what's a kind of foreigner that our audience is going to be okay with us demonizing soviets yeah exactly not even russian because like yeah uh even russians might be okay with us demonizing soviets you know what i mean yeah exactly (laughs) a soviet criminal he can be the devil (laughs) uh so i did feel a bit that yes so do you have anything last things to say about this episode before we They sing the song the song uh that they sing at the end is Psalm one forty three. We don't hear very much of it. Uh but like a lot of the psalms that they sing at Compline, it is a cry for help. Um and it has lines in it like the enemy pursues me crushes me to the ground he makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead and my spirit grows faint within me and hearing uh mary cynthia singing that there is um there's a sense i think in this episode that she has that like it's one of the things that's really painful about mary cynthia's experience here is as she says, is that she feels very close to God and she feels she's stopped to pray and be thankful. Uh, And there is a tradition in the Psalms, particularly of Psalms of uh, praise and Psalms of mourning. And some of the Psalms are, I'm with God and God is with me and loves me and protects me and life is beautiful. And some of the Psalms are, I am pursued by enemies and I am in danger and I'm broken and I need you and you're not here. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense that Sister Mary Cynthia is brought from one of, from a psalm of praise to a psalm of mourning very abruptly, but she still ends with a psalm. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite part of this episode? <laughs> Uh, uh, my favorite part is the uh, voiceover at the beginning, which mm. I think brings, like, I hate a lot of this episode, <laughs> not because I think it's badly done, we'll talk in the spoiler zone about some things, but, um, but it's painful episode, mm-hmm. uh, but I do think that the framing it in the beginning is really well done and profound, and when you look back on it, cast the whole episode in a different light. I think in an appropriate light for what they're doing in this episode, which I don't know if I like what they're doing in this episode, but I get it. How about you? What is your favorite part of this episode? This light and fluffy episode? Uh, Yeah, see, I... On one hand, I want to just pick, like, the funny camping parts are funny. Uh, But I also... I... I really like the conclusion of the Diane and Mm. her mother section where Diane, uh, we didn't actually even mention it in the episode when we were just talking just now, but, uh, Diane asks her mother, can I hold him? 
Yeah. And her mother says, you don't have to ask. Like, you're his mother. And she hands her to him. She goes, I'm a mom, mom. Yeah. And I think that is a beautiful moment to me. And I, I really like that. And it's uh, about the secrets and, yeah. like, quite apart from reputation, she gets to hold her baby as her baby. Exactly, exactly. Like, it's not just her brother, it, it's her child, it's her son. And that's, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this has been quite the episode. If you would like to talk to us about it or any other episode of Call the Midwife, how would you do that, Paul? You can find us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. You can email us, Poplar, at Clockworks Academy, or Poplar Opinion at Clockworks Academy. Those both work and go to the same place. Uh, you can join our conversation on our Discord, which there will be a link to that in the show notes of this episode, and uh, talk about your thoughts about this episode or any episode with us in on there. Oh, but and by the way, thanks to, uh, I can't remember whose name it was, who advised, said to us that uh, lesbians do like a milky brew. Oh yes, we got confirmation. <laughs> Confirmed. Um, and if you would like to support this show, that would be enormously appreciated, and you can do that at patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where you can help keep the lights on and the microphones oiled. <laughs> <laughs> You've been oiling the microphones? How do you think we get such a smooth, silky sound? There you go. Thank you very much for joining us this week. I have been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. Alright, so we do some spoilers. Yeah, this is so, not the last we do see of Sister Mary Cynthia, obviously. Yeah, okay, so I don't really remember how we go from this point to the end point with Sister Mary Cynthia, but I feel like we need to talk about it in spoilers because it makes me angry at the writers of the show Yeah, and their treatment of Sister Mary Cynthia because the end point with her is she ends up in a mental institution in a horrible mental institution, if I recall correctly. And I mean, I guess when we get there, we'll remember it fully. But I she, think she leaves the show not long after this. And then yeah. Whenever she comes back, she is worse and worse and worse. And yes. it is really awful that the consequences of this in this episode, it seems like, you know, she finds strength and then no, and then she just no. deteriorates completely because of this incident. Yeah. I think the... If I remember, we'll find out who's right, because I don't... I will admit my memory is pretty fuzzy. But if I remember correctly, she's in a really awful mental institution, and then they back it off a little and put her in a little nicer one. Yeah. But still, like, she's institutionalized, and that's the end of her story, and we never see her again. Yeah, exactly. She gets sent off to... She gets sent away to the mother home in a way that seems punitive. Yeah. And then we hear reports of the mother home that she's not there. And then they go to this uh, mental institution that they're, like, rescuing another person from because it's an unfit place and she's there. Yeah. And then the next episode, she's, like, in a slightly better one, but still is institutionalized. And that's the end of her story. Yeah. And, like, this episode ends with this strength that they just do not continue to... uh, 
give her yeah. <laughs> at all. I feel like of every character on this show, they did her dirty. They, like, I guess it's reality is that this sometimes happens, is that, like, someone might end up in a mental institution because of this, and mental institutions in the 60s were not great. Yeah. But, man, did you really, like... Could you not give her any kind of happy ending at all? Like, she can leave the show without that. Without, like, the knowledge just lives in my head of, like, she is terrible. She's... Mistreated. Destroyed forever. Yeah. Oof. And, I mean, I don't want to, like... Being in a mental institution does not mean you are destroyed forever. But, like... Her... Life is is derailed by this uh, incident, and she never really recovers from it textually. Yeah, uh, it's brutal. It's rough. So it's really brutal. Rough. Yeah, and there's like, Oof. yeah. Anyway, we just wanted to make sure to say that in the spoilers because we can't watch this episode without thinking about what happens to her in the future. We'll see what happens and see whether we're misremembering or misrepresenting, but I don't think we are. I yeah. think that's really is how brutal it is. Yeah. Um, the rest of this season in general, too, is there's going to be some more sadnesses this season. Yeah, my so goodness. It's like, oh, okay. And we're heading like, into it, guys. <laughs> we'll talk. I mean, it, since this is a spoiler zone, like... Sadness isn't necessarily brutal writing that makes me angry. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Sister Evangelina is going to come back, I think, in the next episode and then has a stroke and, and dies. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, very sad, but I don't feel like it's uh, cruel. No, I don't feel. Yeah. And the other time we were mad about this show is with Delia and. They walked it back, and so maybe that's the reason they didn't with Sister yeah. Mary Cynthia. But I don't know. I don't know, guys. It's just it's kind of the same awful. thing, by the way. The yeah. Delia thing is like some physical trauma causes a mental health problem that you never recover from. Like, stop that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, but. Like, ah, a show can deal with real consequences, and that is an occasional real consequence. With Delia, it was not real. Like, that, the way that they were treating Delia had the extra anger of it, like, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Sister Mary Cynthia, maybe, she's always been an uh, anxious person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess maybe you can fall back on realism. But, like... One of the things that makes me really mad about it is it's, I think, fair and okay to deal with consequences if you're really dealing with them. But, like, to shunt her off with horrible consequences that we aren't actually dealing with mental health in her story. We're not really dealing with mental illness and trauma in the rest of her story. We're just, like, torturing her and us and then leaving her in, in bad circumstances. Yeah. Anyway, if you have things to say about that, <laughs> yeah, feel free. Know. If you do, if you talk on the Discord, uh, make spoiler tags or just email us. But uh, anyway, thanks for listening and for listening to us talk about spoilers and our anger over 
Sister Mary Cynthia because we love her so much. Yeah, we might do a spoiler zone next time Sister Mary Cynthia pops up. Yep. Again. Uh, we don't plan ahead with, with when there's going to be spoiler zones. We just do. Yep. That's how do. we run on this show. Free right. and, and freewheeling. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>